Welcome to the 155th episode of the Reading and Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. Stay tuned for my interview with Kat Richardson, author of the Grey Walker series, an urban fantasy series. Stay tuned for the interview. The Reading and Writing Podcast is sponsored by the book-loving nerds at Riffle. Riffle is an online book community that connects readers with authors and books that they'll love. Readers use Riffle to find the next book that they want to read. And authors use Riffle to make their books stand out and drive sales. Join the Riffle community today at rifflebooks.com. That's R-I-F-F-L-E-B-O-O-K-S dot com. And look for the link in the show notes as well. Well, welcome back to the Reading and Writing Podcast. My guest today is Kat Richardson, author of Possession, the latest Gray Walker novel. Kat, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Well, can I have you read the first couple of pages of your new novel, Possession? Certainly. I don't like dying. No one does, and no matter how many times I've done it and how much I know about what lies beyond the thin edge of existence... I still dread it enough to wish for no more, or at least only one more, and stay down for good. I've died three times that I'm sure of, and that's enough for anyone. I shouldn't complain. I'm still alive at the moment. I seem mostly normal, I suppose. I have a boyfriend, and a pet, and a job. But even those things aren't quite ordinary. The boyfriend is an ex-spy, my pet is a ferret, and I work as a private investigator. I sometimes think it would be nice to be just normal and have a normal job and a normal family, but that isn't going to happen. I have been down to death and back, and whether that is the reason or whether it's the other way around, I am a gray walker, one of the rare few who can move through the overlapping fringes of the world of the normal and that of the paranormal, that here-not-here world which is the gray, and it lies just beside everything you see and contains everything you don't and never want to. Magic streams and sings through the darkness and the mists of the possible, as hot neon lights in the lines and tangles that burn with power, spirits, monsters, and nightmares are its native inhabitants, and I am one of its naturalized citizens. I have been called the Hands of the Guardian, the eldritch creature that prowls the borders of the Grey, and the Paladin of the Dead. I remain in the real world as the go-between, negotiator, troubleshooter, and general fixer for all things Grey. I dance on a hair-thin high wire, balancing between the uncanny and the mundane, while trying to keep myself alive a little longer because I'm sure that my next death will be my last. The thing about this Twilight freak show is that I sometimes know more about the dead than I know about the living, and the ghosts and monsters just keep coming around. They all have problems, and the problems seem to get stranger with each new case. Sometimes the gray things impose themselves on my life with such force and vehemence that the world changes, even if only a few of us can see it. It's part of my job to make sure those changes don't destroy the balance between this world and the next without destroying myself or the people I hold dear. That was the prologue. Great. Well, if someone listening hasn't read one of your Grey Walker, Grey Walker novels yet, how would you describe the series and, and how would you describe the, the latest novel, Possession? Well, I usually refer to them as paranormal detective novels uh, because they are structured like mysteries and 
they really do dwell on the mystery and the detective more than her relationships. Uh, this particular one is number eight in the series, but as I said, we try and get them to stand alone. And it, it's largely um, about ghosts who have a problem, and in order to let other people know about this problem, which is about to become their problem, they possess various people around town and cause quite a bit of havoc. Great. So it's really kind of a book about loss of control and reasserting control. So do you remember how you first got the idea for Harper Blaine, the protagonist of the Grey Walker series? Uh, uh, well, I kind of had the idea rattling around in my head for a long time. And the first iteration was very much stereotypical uh, kind of detective it wasn't really working. I put it aside, and quite a few years later, when I was on a bus going through Pioneer Square, fog, a bunch of ideas all kind of came together, and I thought, this is it. This is the right place to take this character back out of the trunk and do something about a detective who works for ghosts and monsters instead of, you know, the usual hard-boiled scenario where the detective client and chapters later the client is dead but the detective is going to go ahead and solve it anyhow in this case the client is dead and the detective is reluctant to solve it because dead guys are nasty and they forget to pay their bills <laughs> so so what what was your own writing journey like before before you wrote the first gray walker novel you you had mentioned earlier that you had the idea for the character were you were you writing novels before the first gray walker well, I kind of uh, have been writing all of my life. My dad was an English teacher, and I was always really good at this. And sometime around high school, I just started writing stories to please myself and never got them published because I would look at them and think, well, that's okay, but it's just not good enough. So I was in this constant state of self-criticism until sometime around, oh, 34 or 35 years old, uh, I had this great backlog of stuff that had never been published because I thought it was garbage. And my passport had expired. And down on the occupation, it said writer. And I thought, how can you call yourself a writer if you've never gotten anything published, if you haven't you know, thrown yourself against that particular barricade and seen if you can get over it? And so I put myself to the task of getting published so I could continue to say writer on my passport. Prior to that, I had actually been a, an editor. I have a degree in magazine editing, an extremely rarefied and now totally useless degree. <laughs> so that, that's really where I started. I just had to keep on writing stuff. And so what was the process like once you started submitting? Oh, it was, a, it was like going through hell without shoes. And when I say hell, I mean like glass-lined alleyways, you know, with demons and fire. It was terrifying. Uh, you would think that someone who was already kind of connected to the industry, even in a tangential way, would not have such a hard time. But I actually didn't even think of getting in touch with, with people and saying, how do I do this? So, you know, I made every possible mistake and managed to get through it. Yeah, I did tons of research to try and figure out who I wanted to send things to and got rejected right, left, and sideways. And it just became 
uh, machine-like process. I would send queries out, and the next week I would send more queries out, and then I would send more queries out, and the rejections would come back faster than I could mail them. And I just kept on pounding along until one day, you know, instead of a rejection, I got a phone call. And was the phone call from an agent or from a, from an editor? It was from an agent. In fact, I was the very first uh, client this agent had ever taken on. He's now no longer in the business, unfortunately. But it was a really lucky break for me because he had been uh, interning with a much larger agency. And they had finally reached the stage where they said, we think you're ready to go. So here is the slush pile. Find something you like. And I got to be number one out of the file, which only shows that you can rise from the slush. <laughs> and, and, and what was, what was the time from there until, until the first book was, was accepted? Uh, I took about a year revising under the advice of uh, my agent and his senior supervising agent to get the manuscript into a more publishable condition. And then it took about nine months after that to get a publisher interested. And then, of course, the whole editorial process with a new book takes almost two years. So from start to finish, a little over three, almost four years. Got it. So, so what is it about urban fantasy that appeals to you as a writer and as a reader? <laughs> well, you know, I didn't even know there was such a category. <laughs> I had no idea. I thought I was writing a detective story with ghosts. And then they said, hey, it's an urban fantasy. And I said, what is that? And they said, it's what you've written. And I said, this is very circular. And okay. I think the thing that continues to appeal, though, is that it's uh, a blended genre and some editors will say, no, it is either a mystery or it is a romance or it is an adventure that has these other tropes. But I disagree. I think that if you write a good urban fantasy, it balances the two sets or three sets of tropes that you bring in from the major genres like uh, mystery, fantasy, romance, science fiction, you know, whatever you're doing. If it's really well done, it should kind of have a nice balance where you can't do without those other pieces. And I think that's what's exciting to me is I have kind of a roving and bizarre brain that wants to go out and look at all kinds of crazy things and make bizarre and unexpected connections between things that are divergent. And so urban fantasy and that uh, mix of odd strange things that don't initially seem to go together really suits the way my brain goes wandering off on strange tangents. Gotcha. So with Harper Blaine and the Grey Walker series, do you have, um, do you have more novels in the series mapped out? How does that work? Or do you just, um, you know, as you're uh, working on one, do you start thinking about the next one? Can you talk about your process a little bit? Well, initially, there was only the one book, but it wasn't quite the book I wanted. And so I had already started thinking about what I really wanted to say next by the time we sold the book. And they said, well, um, do two. And I said, yeah, two is no problem. And then a bidding war happened. Not much of one, just a tiny, tiny little blip of a bidding war. But I ended up under contract for three. And by that time, I had thought of five. And I said, but I don't have three. I have five. And they said, well, we only want three right now. 
And I was the five stories that I was thinking about that had a cohesive, long character arc to work in just three. And I said, oh, the heck with it. I'm just going to do the first three. And if they want more, we'll deal with it then. Uh, I always want to do more with the characters. And so as I had sat there kind of twiddling my thumbs, waiting for someone to say, hey, we've got a contract for you. So their ideas came up about the horrible things that I could put this poor character through you know, in order to move her along some personal development from kind of a closed down, isolated, chilly loner of a person to, to someone who's a little bit more balanced and a little bit more in control of the real circumstances of her life as opposed to what she believes are the circumstances of her life. You know, you're now eight novels in. Do you do you have uh, an additional story arc plotted out or, or what's the, you know, how do things work from here? Well, at the moment, there's only one more story under contract, one more novel. And I'm not planning on doing another one for a while because I've reached the end of the arc I wanted to do. And I'm now feeling like I'm in the position of writing horrible episodic monster of the week sort of thing. And so I'm going to take a a short break and try and come up with some ideas that I think are not, you know, terribly plebeian and boring and recycled. I'd like to do more. It's just not going to be right away. Sure. Sure. Well, with your own success with your novels, uh, what, what advice do you have for aspiring writers who would one day like to have their own novels published? Oh, uh, don't lie down. You know, there's a real temptation when, you know, things don't go your way to say, well, to heck with it, or to go the easy route instead of the one that improves your writing. Um, and I think that's that's an easy temptation right now with self-publishing is, well, no one wants it. I'll just go ahead and, and publish it as is. We almost always need more help than we think we do. I'm so glad I have, you know, an editor and a copy editor and a proofreader and a compositor and all these other people who do all these horrible, horrible jobs that I'm terrible at and, you know, marketing people and promotions because if I had to do it all myself, I'd never get around to writing another book. I'd, I'd spend all my time doing the technical stuff and that isn't isn't the fun part of the job. You need to look at what your real strengths are and pursue those and get help on the things that you're not as strong at. And that's what I would tell any writer is, you know, work on your writing and don't expect to be perfect at everything. Get other people to help you. It's not a weakness to say, I could be better. Give me a hand. Sure. So so what books or authors have you read in the last year or so that made an impression on you and that you would recommend? Oh, wow. I I read across all kinds of strange genres. And one of the writers I really love reading right now is Mary Robinette Kowal. She's really elegant. And when she writes outside of her current genre, which is sort of Jane Austen with magic, she's still incredibly elegant, but she's very versatile. And I think a lot of people are not reading her because they think it's going to be, you know, these great sort of fantasy romances, but she's just such a great compact writer. Every word means something. And I also read a lot of nonfiction. One of the books I read, I 
recently that I I just keep on thinking about was the Poisoner's Handbook by Deborah Blum, which is about the rise of forensic toxicology during Prohibition in New York City. So now I'm thinking about writing a book about um, the Prohibition and the effect that it has on people and a girl who knows how someone died but not what killed them. Which is a a tiny distinction, but I get these crazy ideas every once in a while. Um, And I read a book about, um, it's a mystery novel that's set in Lisbon both during and before World War II and in the the late 1990s, early 2000s, and it's called A Small Death in Lisbon by Robert Wilson. It's a really complex book because of the two converging timelines. And you keep thinking, how are these guys going to come together? And when they do, it's it's a horrifying train wreck. You can't look away. It's inevitable. And you think, how are they going to solve this? How are these modern detectives going to solve this crime that has roots that go back, you know, 50 years? And he pulls it off beautifully. And it's sad and complex and terrifying and horrible and wonderful. And I thought, I would love to be able to write with that kind of uh, delicate power where you take all of these divergent little pieces and pull them together into one cohesive picture. It was amazing to read. That that sounds like a great endorsement. I'll have to check that out. (laughs) It's grim in a lot of ways, and yet you can't stop reading. It just does such an amazing job with a really difficult story. Right. So we talked about earlier kind of the the story arc of, of the first five books. I, I just wondered um, on a book-by-book basis, do you, do you outline extensively or are you more of an organic writer when you sit down to, to write? Well, I used to be more of an outliner. The uh, final outline for the first book for Grey Walker was 34 pages long, and it's not even very uh, detailed in terms of description for each point. It's just nested bullet lists saying, you know, this happens, this happens, these are the implications of this, this happens, this happens, this happens. Because I was thinking of it in terms of a mystery where clues and character entrances have to be perfectly placed and perfectly timed or the unraveling of the mystery doesn't work. And as I've gotten more experienced my outlines get more and more skeletal and look more and more like a synopsis. But I always have to have an idea of where I start and where I'm going to end up and a couple of key scenes that must happen either because the character arc demands them or because there's a development in the single novel arc that has to be supported. Usually something that ties both the character arc and the novel arc together if possible. I'm always trying to get my subplots to do double duty and work as either reflections of or transits of the main novel arc. So they're not just going along independently, but doing something with the novel story also. So, yeah, they're not quite as detailed as they used to be, Uh, I think I do a lot more of it subconsciously, whereas I used to have to write it all down. Otherwise, it didn't work. (laughs) Right, right. 
Um, so where can people find you online if they're interested in learning more about you and your books? Well, um, the Grey Walker series has its own site at greywalker.com. And I also maintain a website just for Kathleen Richardson browsing, which is catrichardson.com. And I have a blog and various and sundry bits of strangeness. And of course, you know, the usual, all the usual suspects, um, places like Facebook and Twitter, where I, I seem to be Cat Richardson pretty much all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, again, we've been speaking with Cat Richardson, author of the Gray Walker series. Her latest novel, Possession, is in bookstores now, so grab a copy. Cat, thanks for doing this interview. Thanks for having me, Jeff. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.